Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. It's Sunday evening, and welcome to Paz I Am Radio. Your hosts for tonight's show are Robert Brining, Jeremy Dunn, and Jack McEnroe. They'll be taking your calls and speaking on the topic of the week. You're encouraged to call in and share some of your life experiences with us. The number to call is 347-215-9442. That number again, 347-215-9442. Welcome to Paz IM Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Paz I Am Radio. I'm your host, Robert Brining, joined by my co-host this evening, Jack McEnroth. Jack, how are you doing this week? I'm very good. How are you, Robert? I'm well. Doing well. Good. Excited about tonight's show. Say what? I said I'm excited about tonight's show. Good, good. And how are your? I haven't talked to you in a couple of weeks. How's your shingles and all that? Is all is it wrapped yeah, up? Yeah, they're, they're pretty much gone. <laughs> Thank God. Uh, um, you know what I mean? There are scars there, obviously, that I'm going to have for the rest of my life, but the, the shingles themselves are gone. There's no pain. None That's of that. Good. So. That's good. good. How about you? Anything exciting with you going on? Um, I am about to embark on, like, a travel extravaganza. So I'm going to D.C. on Wednesday evening, and then that's for the uh, Whitman Walker Clinic masquerade on the mall gala with uh, Merck and Living Positive by Design and I'm emceeing and I just finished making four masks which I'm like so I'm doing outfit changes during the evening <laughs> and then I think they're they're gonna take those and there's a silent auction so they're gonna auction those off and um, Miss America's gonna be there and it's good and then I so I'm there until the 20 whatever the 24th or 25th um, the event's on the April 23rd, and then I go directly from there to swim camp in Fort Lauderdale, and I'm swimming training for eight days, so it's very intensive, but that's my next couple weeks. That sounds like tons of fun. (laughs) Well, the swimming actually is fun. I mean, we swim two workouts a day, so we swim about four hours a day, which is pretty grueling, but the weather is amazing, and the pool is outdoors, so you get super tan, and you kind of forget that you're killing yourself. (laughs) <laughs> it's also one hell of a workout too, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's amazing. I mean, I did it last year, and it's really fun. And um, the good thing is, you can eat whatever you want. You can eat like a pig because you're burning like <laughs> twenty thousand calories a day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. So we have so our guest on the line. I'm, I'm well. I'm actually really well. I'm just catching up on work. You know, I've had a lot of stuff put on hold because I was sick with the shingles. So I'm just catching up and trying to schedule shows and things of that nature. Right on. You know, trying to, uh, you know, do stuff with the website and cool things like that, but basically normal. So um, tonight's guest is Brandon Maxada, and he is um, a friend of mine, and uh, I believe he's a friend of yours too, Jack. Um, He was, um, I first actually met him on Facebook. I became friends with uh, Brandon, and, you know, he reached out to me when I was stuck in a, a situation, and... He was always just so gentle, and I and I think that's what attracts me to him as a person because he is so, you know, open and so honest and so straight to the point. And you know, he uh, is a part of this organization called um, ADAP Advocacy Association. I'm having issues speaking tonight for some reason. Um, I don't have a hand free. I have my hand free device on tonight, so I don't have my phone. So I'm like trying to like find things to do with my hands and <laughs> forget it. I'm done. That's myself open. But anyway, we're going, to bring, <laughs> we're going to bring Brandon on, and he's going to come on. We're going to talk about uh, the importance of ADAPT and, you know, the increase of the waiting list of all these people that are on the waiting list now and all the states that are um, now having a list. So I thought it was important to bring him back on. He was on before, and I think, Jack, you were on with me when we had him on right after I spoke there uh, 
at the summit in July last year. Yeah. Um, well, no, yeah, I'm interested to hear because I'm not really as up on ADAP as I should be, but I do know that there are, a, I mean, probably an increasing number of states that have waiting lists, and it's really scary because, I mean, you know, people can't get met. Well, for, yeah, I'm sure I'll explain it and we can talk about it, but ADAP stands for AIDS Drug Administration Administ- or Assistance Program, and it's for people that are uninsured, and it helps them get the medication they need. And when there's a waiting list, it just means that people are going without meds that need it, and, you know, people will die. So um, it's kind of scary. Yeah, and it's definitely a topic that a lot of, um, you know, people are talking about, and we're excited that we were going to have him on because they were wondering, like, with the North Carolina now having uh, a list and all that stuff, what are they to do? So, you know, help me uh, welcome Brandon Maxada to the show. Brandon, are you there? Good evening, Robert. Good evening, Jack. How are you both doing? Good. Great, great. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Good to, to be on your show again. Yes, yes. And now you have a show here on Blog Talk Radio too, so I was, you know, we can always talk about that as well. But um, th- you know, how's that working out for you, the Moderate Solutions? Uh, it, it is actually working out pretty well. We we host a show every Thursday. Um, at 1 o'clock Eastern Time, and we invite political guests on from um, pretty much all over the spectrum to talk about uh, just the, the state of politics in America today and uh, kind of where the, how the center, the, the moderate voice, the independent voice within our political system just seems to have been drowned out by what we refer to as the uh, radical left and the, the far right. And we just, you know, we, we, we have a good time. We, we get pretty in-depth on a lot of the issues. And uh, just hopefully that we can add an additional voice to the whole political conversation that we have here in the country. So maybe we'll have to get you on sometime, uh, Robert, and, you know, hopefully you can get your, your words out uh, a little better than the start of time. <laughs> Put the mark well, I blame Jack. But well, market. you would you would think that with a hands-free device, you'd be you'd be you'd be used to that by now. But hey, I guess I guess not. I'm not. <laughs> Don't worry, Robert. I've I've been tongue-tied a few times on the show. So I feel your pain. Right. Yeah, I know you understand. So uh, first, I want to thank you um, for inviting me to the summit last year. I really um, had a good time. Me and uh, my partner Joe. When we came down, and I was able to speak for the first time. And you know, you gave me that gift of allowing me to share my story and talk a little bit about, you know, what POSIM is. And I just want to thank you for that first off. Well, I'm, I'm glad you came. And, uh, Jack, I know you weren't at the summit, but I have to tell you, for those who were uh, in the audience and listening to Robert speak, were just so inspired, loved his energy. There were so many people who came up to him afterwards and, you know, can I have your phone number, can I have your email, I want to, you know, I want to learn about what it is you're doing and how I can bring this back to my community and Robert was laughing. He says, God, I feel like a celebrity after this. But, <laughs> I mean, he knocked the ball out of the park. I mean, he just, he really connected with the people. He has such a powerful message. So it was, it was actually, I considered it our honor to, to have you there. And, and now I guess I, I technically should refer to you as boss because uh, Robert is now on the, the board of directors of the ADAP Advocacy Association. The, the board of directors uh, uh, seated him as well as uh, Anthony Jackson out of New York City a couple months ago, so uh, I guess i got to call you boss from now on. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Don't be jealous, Jack. <laughs> I'm like, I, bar- I barely do that. I'm like, <laughs> oh, my. So, so, Brandon, tell us a little bit about um, yourself personally. Um, when were you diagnosed and, you know, h- how you found your niche? Because you're, you're a lot on the political side of things where, you know, that's something that I don't really know too much about. So how did you get involved in that? Were you always one of those political debaters? or? Oh, I got bit by the political bug at a, a very young age. And it's, uh, it, you know, it's, it's kind of like HIV. Once you get it, you're stuck with it. Um, and you, just, <laughs> you have to learn to live with it because there are very few – if you don't have that political bug in you, um, a lot of people think, you know, you're nerdy or you're weird or – you know what what's up with this guy how or girl you know how come you know they're into this political stuff and you know maybe not something else and uh, but no i definitely got bit at a very young age ran for office at a very young age but i i i just feel very passionate about you know being involved in issues and especially when it's an issue like hiv and and while it it touches my life personally 
and it touches the lives of so many of my friends personally, I get drawn to issues when the people are the underdog, if you will, and that everything is stacked against them. The, the, the government is stacked against them. The companies are stacked against them. You know, the fact that we have, and we're in the richest country in the world, and I know we'll get into this later on in the show, but we're in the richest country in the world, and we have almost a 1,000 people in this country waiting to access the very medications that we know keep them healthy, keep them productive, keep their mental health in, in a better state of mind, and keep them out of the hospital. And it just, it really blows my mind. So I, I tend to get drawn to those issues that are uh, an uphill battle, if you will. But doesn't it frustrate you a little bit? I mean, the reason I, I'm political in a sense, I'm 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 very liberal, and I and I, but I, I the part that frustrates me is you know you watch the news and you see all these pundits battling back and forth, and it's the politics of it and the bureaucracy and the fact that it's like seems so difficult to get things done that makes me so frustrated that I just want to like you know put my head in the sand and pretend it's not existing so how do you deal with that sort of frustration of just like the political arena in general well every once in a while jack if you fear, if you hear like this really loud loud noise um coming from washington dc it's usually me screaming <laughs> right. i get i get frustrated you know and and but you have to keep in mind you know when you look at the us congress and the fact that you have you know, almost 550 elected officials in the Congress, if you include all the members of the House, all the members of the Senate, and then all the delegates who don't have the, who can't vote but can debate on an issue. All right, get 550 of your friends and put them in one room and come up with a decision on anything. Right. No, right. I mean, let, let's, let's have a New Year's party. Where do you want to have it? What do you want to be the theme? Or, you know, let's do a fundraiser. Well, what issue do you want to do? You know, what, what type of fundraiser do you want to have? Do you want it to be a golf tournament, a dance, you know, so on and so forth? So it, when you get into political issues that really touch people's lives, the one thing you have to keep in mind is that um, while you may disagree with someone, and I think this is where we have kind of as a country gone astray, you should at least respect the other person's opinion. And, I, and those folks who, who aren't as supportive of HIV issues are usually because, um, either they don't understand it, and, and the HIV is no different than any other issue on Capitol Hill. Either you know, there's some people who are really the leaders and they get the issue and they're out front, and then there's other people who just, you know, they don't get it. It's the same thing with national defense, transportation, you name it. So we're no different in that regard. But I think you have to keep in mind that when you have that many differing opinions, it's really hard to come to a consensus. And I think that's the reason we're in the, the plight that we're in today is that the left has gotten too extreme, the right's gotten too extreme, and they don't talk to each other. So they end up fighting, they end up posturing, uh, both parties are to blame, and, you know, the Republicans, it's funny to see them going after the Democrats right now about railing things through the Congress and the, the dead of night and all these secret deals and whatever, because they were guilty of the same damn thing when they were in charge of the Congress and they had the President in the White House. So... You know, it, it, but at the same time, you still have to keep doing it. You have to keep plugging away. These is people's lives at stake. Uh, you know, you you referenced it earlier. You know, when we were in this plight with ADAP waiting lists being in thousands a couple years ago, people actually died. They died in Kentucky. They died in West Virginia. They died died in South Carolina. And those were just the states that we know of. Right. You know, like and I have a, Brandon for. I'm trying to just to, to figure it out and take it from a different approach because obviously I see the importance for ADAP. Um, does every other disease have like, do, do other diseases have waiting lists for their medications or are they treated for like say their cancer, like whether they have the money or not? Well, every disease is, is clearly different. Um, right. And, you know, I, I think in many ways we are very organized, we're very effective, but there is still a, a political lightning rod associated with HIV. There are still a lot of people who look at it as a behavioral disease, whether it's engaging in unprotected sex or, um, you know, IV drug use. And I think there, that stigma is still attached to it so that you, you have some people who, uh, as Jack said earlier, you know, he gets so frustrated he sticks his, his head in the sand. I think there are elected officials who have their heads in the, in the sand, and they just view it as a behavioral disease. It's, you know, it harkens you back to the, the dark days of the early 80s when the disease first, uh, you know, came out, and it was referred to as, you know, the gay cancer. And I think we still, the biggest obstacle we have to overcome is the stigma. Uh, when you look at a lot of other diseases or uh, 
conditions. You know, you look at autism, and autism does not carry the stigma that HIV does. I mean, you see autism everywhere. Autism's color is blue. You see blue everywhere. It's popular to be supporting uh, autism and autism research and, and all these different initiatives uh, about well, autism. Well, and, and every other, I mean, breast cancer, like there's, I mean, exactly every other every other disease. I mean, I think HIV, I can't really think of another, well, I mean, maybe there's like, men, you know, mental mental diseases that have some sort of stigma on it, but it's still there's no blame placed directly on the person who's suffering from it. So it's very original in that sense that it, there's such a severe stigma on being HIV positive. You're absolutely right, Jack. And, you know, we our organization uh, did a white paper. We, we did an issue paper some years ago where we, Basically, we're pointing out the fact that the U.S. is sending billions of dollars in foreign aid to support the, the president's emergency plan for emergency AIDS assistance, PEPFAR, which is an admirable thing. It's something most Americans support. Uh, but at the same time, in this country, we were seeing either very paltry increases in federal funding or robbing Peter to pay Paul, you know, taking money out of one program to give a bump in, you know, an increase in another program. And... It was ironic because when we were doing this research and we were going through all the data and all the appropriations bills that showed that, you know, the international relief was getting huge increases as the United States was basically being flat-funded. And it was ironic because when we looked and went, kind of did a, a research on images, the images overseas of, you know, the Caribbean and Africa were images, they were positive images. They were, they were images that reinforced the, the do-good nature of the American people. You have, you know, a small little uh, African baby, and, and the image that was being portrayed was these AIDS drugs, you know, the, supporting this AIDS relief, with buying these AIDS drugs is making this young little baby healthy. But yet when you looked at the images in the United States, they were much more negative. They were nowhere near as positive, and it was usually an image of, um, you know, and I'm going to you know, maybe say something in politically incorrect, but a, a really scrawny-looking, almost doped-up gay man, you know. And it, the image was, it's this guy's behavior that got him in this position. But yet the image of, you know, over in Africa was this poor little innocent baby. And it all comes back to what Jack said. It's, it's the stigma. There is still a significant stigma uh, associated with this disease. That, to me, is our biggest obstacle. It's not a political party. It's not 550 different opinions on Capitol Hill. It is the fact that we have not successfully overcome the, the issue of the negative stigma with this disease. And until we do, I think we're going to continue to see waiting lists. We're going to continue to see political infighting on an issue as important as, as this. And, you know, it's not like it was in the 1980s. If you look at the demographic, sure, um, gay men or men who have sex with, with men um, are clearly disproportionately affected. But guess what? The HIV infection rates among uh, uh, teenagers below the age of 16 are skyrocketing. HIV infection rates among people who are 55 and older are going up uh, significantly. Look at what this disease is doing to communities of color, a disproportionate impact on women. It's not a gay disease anymore, but that's the image that a lot of people still view HIV as the gay disease, the behavioral disease, and there's other more, quote-unquote, more important causes we should be supporting. Right. That's actually really interesting. I never really thought quite on those terms, that there is a completely different perspective given to AIDS in Africa. It's seeing this as a like global issue that we all need to get behind, and, and that's really true. And, I mean, of course that is actually true, but also, you know, domestically it is still a huge problem. We need funding too, and it, it is, you're right, it's, a, it's a definitely a different, it's different propaganda, it's different messaging, it's a different PR, the way we approach domestic HIV, and it's still, I think you're right, even though it's not, I mean, um, you know, the numbers, it is disproportionately a gay men's disease domestically, but it still obviously affects all genders and, and socioeconomic groups and, and cultures. So that's a very interesting point. So just recently, Brandon, you brought up, uh, you created uh, an open letter video um, to President Obama. Um, and I have to say, it's very powerful. Uh, we did. You know, we, we are trying to right now, and, and this is what I think why people are so 
emotional on this issue, AIDS advocates, people in our community who, who lobby for HIV funding and HIV prevention and HIV support services every day. You look at how many billions of dollars um, under the previous administration that uh, President Bush, uh, when the, the banks needed help in the bailout, you look at how many billions of dollars this president, when he came into office, with the stimulus and then the auto bailout, and you know, and most recently his uh, the the mortgage, uh, the failed mortgage foreclosure bailout, where basically it was rewarding people for making stupid decisions and buying homes that they couldn't afford. You look at all this money that's being spent between the previous president and this president in the billions, the hundreds of billions, and yet here we are asking for a hundred and twenty-six million dollars because that's what in this current fiscal year. That's the federal funding shortfall that would eliminate these waiting lists, $126 million, compared to how many hundreds of billions of dollars over the last two years. And we're, we can't get it. You know, we're still fighting. We're still fighting. And, you know, we, we've basically been told it's not a crisis. And until it reaches the level of a crisis, we, you know, you're not going to get the, the president's not going to sign on. There's other priorities. He, he feels that the health care reform will, will fix it down the road. Well, I say fixing it down the road is hogwash. We have a problem right now. We have 938 Americans in this country, and probably more, because in states like Louisiana, it's against their state law to have a waiting list. So, you know, they kind of use gimmicks to get around that down in Louisiana. So we know it's more than 938 people. So all we're trying to do is get $126 million passed as an emergency supplemental Basically what that means is even though Congress has appropriated the money for this current fiscal year, they oftentimes will go back and pass a supplemental. And it's basically to, to fund programs that maybe something's changed and they didn't fund enough, they didn't appropriate enough money. Well, clearly our program, the AIDS Drug Assistance Program, is one of those areas. And we're trying to get $126 million. And there's just a lot of people who are at the point where they want to hold the president's feet to the fire. Because if the president used his bully pulpit the same way he did in health care reform to get behind this very small increase, we would have it probably relatively quickly. So we did. We put together a, a YouTube video. We, we called it an open letter to President Obama. Uh, you can find it on uh, our YouTube channel, which is ADAP, A-D-A-P, Advocacy, all one word. And it basically is, it offers a historical perspective. You know, in the 1930s, you had people during the Great Depression who were in line to get food, uh, and yet the United States was supposed to be one of the wealthiest countries in the world. In the 60s, you had homelessness, poverty, you know, and Lyndon Johnson came with the Great Society because people were waiting to, you know, to get access to even health care or very basic necessities. And here we are in 2010, again, the most wealthiest country in the world, and we just keep seeing more and more people get put on these waiting lists when – What's what's really frustrating, and I guess this gets back to you know Jack's point earlier about how you know how do you get involved in politics because it's got to be so frustrating. Look at where we are as a society as it relates to HIV right now. Our message as a as a country, our government's message is get tested, get tested, get tested. Okay, so people go get tested. Coming from medical community, coming from the medical community, the message is. Hit the disease quick, hit it hard. Hit the disease quick, hit it hard. Go, you know, go, go get your medications and, and go get treated. All right, so the government's saying go get tested. The medical community's saying if you're positive, go get your medications. Okay, and then, sorry, folks, we don't have enough money. We're sorry you're positive. We, we know you need the medications, but we can't give them to you right now, so why don't you go stand in line? I mean, how is that, how is that for somebody who's really struggling? Maybe they think they have been exposed Maybe they're not feeling well. You know, they have, kind of have that suspicion deep down in their heart that, okay, maybe I'm HIV positive. Why go get tested if you know that you don't have health insurance and you might not get the drugs that are going to keep you well? It's, the psyche is almost it's better off not to know. Right. And I think, um, can you just kind of clarify just because for people that don't, aren't familiar with ADAP, what exactly it is? Um, I mean, I know and Robert knows, but, um, you know, just kind of, Sure. Overview. Yeah. Well, the the country, um, as many of you know, we we just celebrated the the loss of uh, Ryan White, who was the young boy who kind of really I think garnered the national uh, conscious on HIV. Who was in he 
was infected through a blood transfusion. He was living in Indiana, and the school, you know, basically kicked him out. And that's when we were in the heyday of all the fear over HIV. Well, in the 90s, there was the the nation's only comprehensive HIV services um, law is named after here. It's named after him. It's called the Ryan White Comprehensive AIDS uh, Program. And uh, Title II or Part B of it is um, called the AIDS Drug Assistance Program. And it is a program that is designed to for people who either are uninsured or are underinsured and cannot get access to their medication uh, that we know keeps them healthy, keeps them productive, they can get um, access to these medications. It's a federal uh, state partnership, so they can go to the state and say, I'm HIV positive, I'm a resident of the state, I have no insurance, or maybe my insurance doesn't cover my prescriptions, I, I need these drugs. And they, then they just have to prove their eligibility based on income, so on and so forth, and then they can get these drugs. The problem is that ever since this um, program has existed, since the early 90s, it has been perpetually underfunded. And waiting lists have uh, dogged this program for most of its history. There was about maybe one or two years where there was no waiting lists. And it's, it's just really unfortunate because this is another example of, uh, you know, the federal government not living up to its commitment. The federal government used to spend, uh, used to appropriate about 72 to 74 percent of ADAP funding nationwide, and then the states kicked in the rest, that remaining 28 percent. And that was really where the, the driver behind the waiting list at the time is because the states weren't coughing up enough money. Well, a lot of the lobbying efforts and advocacy efforts were focused on the states and said, hey, you know, Alabama, you need to cough up your share of the money. Hey, Illinois, you need to cough up your share of the money. And advocates in all these states were very successful. Well, now the problem is the federal share, the federal appropriation for this program hasn't kept pace. So now in fiscal year 2010, the federal government's only appropriating about 54%. So we went from 72, 74% down to 52%. That's one of the biggest reasons why we have these waiting lists right now. And the, and the reason there's 938 people in 10 states um, that are waiting to access these medications because the federal government is not living up to its end of the bargain. Randy, do you have this list of states? Excuse me? The list of states, do you, know, do you have them off the top of your head? I do. Uh, Idaho, Iowa, Kentucky, Montana, North Carolina, South Carolina, uh, South Dakota, Tennessee, Utah, and Wyoming. Uh, there are probably another six states that uh, could, as you know, soon as next week or maybe next month, have a waiting list. Um, Nebraska, for example, uh, Indiana, for example, have kind of weaved in and out of having waiting lists. They'll, they'll have a, a waiting list and then they'll eliminate it, and then they'll have a waiting list and then they eliminate it. But what's, what's really alarming to a lot of folks is the fact that 75% of those people on waiting lists reside in the South. Uh, right. That this disease is not the same disease that in the early 80s, you know, was striking San Francisco, New York City, Chicago. I mean, this disease... Um, has spread, you know, just as it spread outside the gay community, it has spread across this country, and it has disproportionately impacted our, our southern communities, our rural communities, and a lot of these communities don't have the history, whereas, you know, San Francisco, having so many years of history with this disease, learned how to create a care structure to take care of these people so that they don't fall through the cracks. Well, you know, Burlington, North Carolina, doesn't have that. And if right. you look at, you know, for example, North Carolina has 400 people on a waiting list out of the 938 total. So that's almost half of the waiting list in, is in one state. And, I mean, just to sort of reiterate the severity and, like, how important this is, is, I mean, these are people where, you know, they're, they, in order to qualify for ADAP, it's, I know it's different for every state, but you're, you know, that your income level is, has to be at a certain level, which is usually not very high, and so these people are are trying to acquire medications that can cost upwards of, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars per month, and and they're life-saving medications. And I know for a fact I had friends in the 90s who would, would had no other options except for getting their drugs through ADAP, and it saved their lives. And you know they became amazingly productive members of society because of ADAP, and it's a totally a life-saving, amazing program, and people will die. I mean, 400 people on a waiting list, it's like, and you don't, I mean, who knows what state of health these people are in, and if they're, 
these medications can save lives, and if they're not getting access to them, people are going to start dying again. That's the that's black and white of it. No, you're you're absolutely right, Jack. I mean, it's it's it, it goes back to the whole thing about we're telling people go get tested. They go get tested. We're telling them to get get access to care quickly, and then oh by the way, you know, be on a waiting list. And you have to keep in mind that one of the biggest um, things you have to remember if you're HIV positive and you're going on your medications is adherence. The more you adhere to your medication regimen, the more effective you will be at controlling the disease. And if you have people who are, you know, weaving in and out of taking their medications because they can't afford it, um, that really is problematic um, for them. And not, not only, you know, physically in terms of what could be the, condi- you know, impact on their health physically, but also mentally. I mean, just imagine what it's like for somebody who, okay, God, I have to take these medications every day, and then, you know, they show up next month to get the refills, and it's, oh, I'm sorry, we don't have enough money, we can't, we can't do this. And it is tied to income. Uh, the federal poverty level in this country is only about, if you make 12000 about $12,500 a year, you are living at or below the federal poverty level. And it depends on the state. But, you know, even if it's a state that, that eligibility is 200% of federal poverty, that's only about $24,000 a year. That's not a lot of money. And, Jack, your point to these, you know, these medications, the average is about 1200 a month. <laughs> well, you do the math. That's half your income. If, even if you're making $24,000 a year, half your income is going to your medication. Right. So what's left over to pay your rent, you know, buy your food, you know, and, or these other, you know, your heat, your, your air, you know, these other life necessities. So it, it is a program that is also cost-effective in that, okay, $1,200 a month, or what's the alternative? This person doesn't take their medication, maybe gets hit with a couple of very nasty opportunistic infections, and then spending a weekend or a week in the hospital. And now you've just run up, you know, $70,000, $120,000 in medical bills exactly. for a weekend. So it's a very cost-effective program. And that's why we're, we're really trying to beat the drum and to, to send the message to the president and to Congress that, you know, our campaign theme is end the waste. You know, it is time to end this wait. Enough is enough. If you can bail out the automakers and Wall Street and, you know, people who couldn't afford to buy the, the million-dollar home that they bought, then the least you can do is, is ante up $126 million just to meet your commitment of what you're supposed to be funding this program at so that these people aren't on a waiting list. Well, the other thing that I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but the other thing that I know that goes on with an ADAP is when – when the budgets are really low, they also make cuts within what they offer and with things that aren't covered. Like, I think, oh, yeah. I, I, at least know in New York, at that, at, when it when it had the most funding, you know, I'm I'm sure there's never, an, the, you know, we can always use more funding, but you know, they used to fund vitamins and they would fund um, like uh, like some of the nutritional supplements and all that stuff. And then I think those are the first things to go when there's budget cuts because they try to give people the necessities. So it's like all the other stuff that seems like it's, it's very needed, but it may be something that people can live without. And that's the first thing to go, which is unfortunate. Well, right. It's not just about the, the waiting list. I mean, the other cost containment strategies that states often adopt are what's called changes in their formulary. And the formulary is basically the drugs that the state has determined it will cover. So if you're on ADAP, it will cover, you know, drug one, two, three, four, but it won't cover drug five and six, you know. And then you go to another state like New York, which has, you know, one of the more liberal uh, formularies, and, you know, okay, it covers all six drugs. You know, and the other thing to keep in mind with these medications is the side effects that are associated with them. So sometimes it's not just actually getting the antiretrovirals, but it's also getting the, you know, the anti-nausea medication or, you know, any other type of side effect you may have as a result of these medications, anti-diarrhea medication, right. you know, that help you. And if they're not covered, you know, so it's great. You have your HIV medications and it, it's controlling the virus, but you feel like hell. You feel like hell running over you. Right. So, you know, it's not just a waiting list. There's a lot of other things that, that come into play um, that, that truly impact people's lives. Right. I agree. I just want to real quick uh, let everybody know that we open the lines. You guys can give us a call here at the show and speak to Brandon if you have a question maybe about ADAPT or you live in one of those states and would like to share your experience. Um, you can give us a call at 347-215-9442. I do have a caller on the line, so I'm going to go ahead and bring area code 828. What's your name and where are you calling from? Um, my name is Trace. Hi, Trace. Welcome to the show. 
Hey, thanks. I'm I'm part of the uh, Pause I Am community, and You're I welcome. listen on the. Thanks, uh, and I do the listen live, and it doesn't uh, it doesn't work. However, I would like to say I'm a clinical microbiologist by trade, um, HIV positive, and some of the differences that I would suggest that you would see in this disease versus other diseases is uh, exponential growth of this disease worldwide versus uh, cancers and other diseases that would not have that same expression. Right, right. I mean, because I, mean, I, I heard you t bring up the other diseases, right? Right. right, and how they're handled. The, typically, in cancers, we don't see exponential growth unless there's right. an event. And right. with HIV worldwide, we continue to see um, exponential growth of this uh, disease. And that was one right. of the uh, differences in this disease versus other diseases that might give it uh, a different look by the uh, government. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that should affect the priority, definitely, of how it's examined by the government. No, that's a, it, that is a good point. I mean, you go back to President George W. Bush, and most people would say the guy did an amazing job with his international emergency relief, that he, he truly made an impact, a positive impact on uh, these countries that were had epidemic-level infections, made a positive impact on, you know, people's lives, I mean, truly people's lives, but the problem is what he did here in this country with uh, a failed policy like abstinence-only education, um, you know, the fact that uh, the funding under the AIDS drug assistance program was pretty much flatlined, uh, you know, domestically he failed. Uh, he did such a good job internationally, but here on this country he failed. And I, I think, you know, the point that you raised, Jack, about other diseases, I just think it comes back to, HIV is not a pretty disease. It's not a pretty cause. You, you don't see, whereas you see a lot of celebrities come out and do a lot of good things, you don't see the same level that you do with something like um, autism or something like cancer or something like diabetes. And I think that's, that really is something that creates an uphill battle for a lot of us because whereas we do have a lot of great spokespeople and, and great advocates and leaders, uh, it, it's... The stigma that we have to get over, that hurdle of, of stigma, it, it really just, it, it's like its like running, Jack, you're a swimmer. It's like you're getting up on the blocks, you're getting ready to start the race, and the judge says, Jack, by the way, you've got to wait 45 seconds before you can start and everybody else goes first. Right. You know, now you may be able to win, you may be able to catch up, but it, it puts you at such a, such a disadvantage, and that's really what we experience with, um, you know, trying to, to fight for our share of the pie against a lot of these other diseases, and make no mistake about it, it is a very small pie that we are that we are fighting over. And when you when it's popular to to throw money at autism, and it's not popular to throw money at HIV, guess where we're going to be? We're going to be right. told, you know, you got to wait 45 seconds before you can start the race with everybody else. Right. It's interesting. So um, I know you do a whole bunch of events uh, throughout the year. Um, you know, with the association and stuff like that. Can you uh, tell us what you have coming up? Because I know you just did a wine tasting, right? I think I saw on Facebook. Well, one of the, you know, like any other nonprofit organization, uh, we have no money, so we, we try and raise money. And, and one of the, the fun ways that we have done it the last couple of years is we typically have uh, two or three wine tastings throughout the year. And we will invite uh, members of Congress to come speak. We've had Senator Richard Burr from North Carolina uh, Delegate Donna Christian Christensen from the Virgin Islands, uh, Representative Ileana Loss Lathan from Florida, uh, Joseph Ch uh, Jow from uh, Louisiana. Uh, you know, we've had a, a good Republicans, Democrats, Senators, Representatives, and we, we use it as an, clearly an, op an opportunity to raise money to, to help the organization, but also raise awareness. And um, we've been very fortunate in that regard because we oftentimes clearly we get our, our friends, we get our advocates, the people who are fighting on this issue every day, but oftentimes we get a lot of people too who um, want to help. You know, they don't, they don't, they're not involved in it from a, on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, they have their job either at the, you know, grocery store or the bank or, you know, somewhere, some federal agency, and they want to learn more. They, they want to be able to, to, to do more in this area, and maybe it's because it's, it's the disease has touched someone, a friend's life, a relative's life. So we really use it also as an opportunity to raise awareness. But, but beyond that, 
the, the biggest thing that we're doing right now is we are using the virtual world, uh, you know, online systems to do uh, trainings, to offer trainings in these states that each have waiting lists because um, there are what are called patient assistance programs. Uh, sometimes they're known as prescription assistance programs, and all the, the pharmaceutical companies have them. And it's basically a, a program where they will give their, their product, their medication, um, for free to somebody if they qualify. It, it's kind of like their own little age drug assistance program. And what we found is that a lot of the, the, the people in the state who work on ADAP-related issues, case managers or and whatever, people in the health department, we found one of two things. Either they didn't know these programs existed, these patient assistance programs, or two, they know about them, but they don't know really anything about them. What are the eligibility requirements? How do you apply? How many you know, months of medication can you get? So what we've done is we have invited all the pharmaceutical companies to come and talk about their individual uh, patient assistance program, and we're, we're targeting all the states that have waiting lists. We just hosted our first one last Wednesday uh, for the states of uh, Arkansas and Louisiana, and every Wednesday we're going to hold one of these virtual sessions. In the virtual world, we have a virtual conference system, so there's no travel. You don't have to worry about going to your supervisor and getting you know, a, a, a travel expenditure all you need is your computer, you can log on, you can hear these people speaking, you can ask them questions, you see their presentations, and it's, it's really, I think, is going to help, um, at least temporarily, a lot of these people who are falling through the cracks. Um, but that does not advocate our responsibility to still fight for this $126 million this year, but then also to make sure that next year Congress is, is ponying up their, their share of the, the funding as well. So we stay busy, bottom line. <laughs> yeah, you have a lot coming up. Do you have any uh, more info on the summit at all? Because I know I, I, you were in the process of trying to figure all that out. I didn't know if you... Yeah, we are going to have our, our annual summit here in Washington, D.C. again. We are probably going to do it July 5th, 6th, and 7th, uh, right after the holiday. Uh, we will host a congressional briefing on the Senate side, so we will have a, a briefing on Capitol Hill and uh, we'll try to we'll invite people from across the country to come speak. And really, what we use the, the congressional briefing to do is educate um, members of Congress and their staff. And whereas anybody can attend, the, the, our real target audience are those staff members who are advising their senators on how to vote on certain issues. And of course, the, the whole purpose of this briefing will be on the AIDS drug assistance program. But the, the summit itself will be about two and a half days of uh, briefings. Um, informational uh, uh, sessions where people can come here, um, physicians, advocates like, you know, Robert, last year you, you talked about using social media to, to expand your network and, and communicate with people who are also HIV positive. So it really, the, the, the topics are endless in terms of what we cover. We, we try and offer a lot of different uh, perspectives, a lot of touch on a lot of different issues from funding to prevention strategies, and like in your case, we, we went out into social media as a prevention strategy. And we really try, we try to get the, the people that we try to get to attend are people living with HIV. We're not trying to get, um, you know, government folks. We're not trying to get the pharmaceutical industry folks. The, the people that we really try and get to attend our summit are people who are living with the disease, fighting in the trenches, and dealing with this uh, disease day in and day out. Can you... Um, God, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say that the summits themselves are, are a lot of fun. You know, um, the the conference that I went with, you know, last July, Brandon, was the first time I ever been to like a conference like that where I've actually met other people who were out working in you know the the AIDS and HIV community field and and, and things of that nature and, and actually being able to connect with them one on one. And I think that was what was I needed so much of was just that interaction with other people who were in you know, who were living with the disease, and I think that's what the summit really does. It really brings that, that blend together. It's, the summits do three things. They, they give you access to, to information. That, that's clearly one. Um, you know, I, I think of some of the speakers that, you know, even, even your presentation, I mean, I, so many people came up to you afterwards and were like, oh, my God, I never thought of using social media as, a, as an outreach. Uh, so it's, it's information. It's getting access to information that can truly have an impact on, on people's lives. It's participation. It's being able to feel like you are a part of something and meeting new people, networking, 
building relationships so that you can, instead of reinventing the wheel, just call, pick up the phone and say, hey, I saw your presentation or I met you at this conference. I would like to do the same thing in my community. Where do I start? And then the other thing that it does is it, it gives you access. I mean, as a hired gun, I can go up to Capitol Hill and, you know, meet Senator John Doe and say, you need to do this. Okay, thank you. Thanks for coming. We'll, we'll consider you. But if you're a constituent of Senator John Doe and you're walking in there and saying, I voted for you or my family voted for you, I've lived in your state for X number of years, HIV affects my family, affects me, I want you to support this, that is so much more powerful than a hired lobbyist or a hired advocate or somebody here in Washington, D.C. going in. So it, it gives you access to the people who make the decisions because you have to keep in mind, and this is part of the reason why we, we did this YouTube video, was until the president and until members of Congress hear from you and I and Jack and all, all of our other friends and colleagues in, in our world, they're not going to think it's a problem. They're going to think maybe it's just some isolated incident or whatever. We have to raise the level of awareness so that they see it as the crisis it is, and then they act accordingly. Cool. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you had a question. That's why I didn't say anything. Oh, well, um, well, well, my, my question was more of... By my answer, he was speechless. I, no, yeah, I was finding a tissue. Um, <laughs> no, I, my question was uh, sort of just a little a, a change of gears, but it was basically to address someone who maybe, you know, newly diagnosed, either, you know, doesn't have um, insurance or is really young or you know, unemployed or whatever, and how they, if they've maybe never really heard of IDF before, how they apply for it, what, you know, what action should they take to get in touch with someone and find out about the program and how they can, if, if there is not a waiting list, how they can get on um, and get assistance. Jack, that's a great question. There's, well, there's a lot, of, a lot of ways you can go about doing it. Um, I mean, you can either contact us and we can help navigate for you, uh, the, you know, how to go about doing it. But uh, you can go to the local aid service um, organization in your community, and you know, again, that will depend on what community you're in. I mean, some of them have half a dozen; others, you know, you got to go 20 miles before you can, 40 miles before you can reach the, the nearest aid service organization. Uh, right. But then you could also, if you want to bypass there, uh, you can go to your physician and ask your physician, because a lot of times physicians were were uh, the person who or they're aware of it. Uh, you need a physician's order that says. Um, you know, this, per this person, my patient is HIV positive. They need to have access to these medications. So you could certainly go to your physician. Uh, you can go to local health department. And you could even, um, every state has what's called an, uh, an, a state ADAP office. You know, you can go online and do the search. And if you're living in Iowa, you know, find out who, what the number is for the, the Iowa State ADAP director. Call them up and say, you know, I'm HIV positive. I'm a resident of Iowa. Uh, I believe I'm eligible for this program. Uh, I don't have any insurance. Uh, I'd like to get access to my medication so that I can be healthy, and you know they'll 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 help you from there. So it's it's really not for a lack of a, available ways to find out how you can um, access the program. I think the biggest obstacle is just a lot of people don't know the program exists. Right. Uh, once you do know it exists, and that's you know part of why I'm here this evening with the two of you. Once you know it exists. You have so many ways that you can figure out how to access this program. So, and, and isn't there? I don't, I don't know if it's state by state, but I do know for a fact. I think in New York, um, they do. A, 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 there's a version of the program where if you do have insurance, but for some reason you lost your job or you can no longer afford to pay for it, ADAP will actually take over the payment, the insurance payments, because that's yes, actually cheaper. Is that correct? Yes. The the last time uh, with most laws, uh, they have to uh, be have to be. They have to be reauthorized. And, and um, um, Robert, I'm hearing Robert, a little I'm bit. Of a little feedback. bit feedback. Yeah, I think it's on your end. Is it on my end? Okay. Because I, <laughs> I yeah. only hear it when you talk. <laughs> okay. Well, it's it's gone now. So we, we I waved my magic Please. wand. I took care of it. <laughs> um, yes. The last time Ryan White was reauthorized, whenever a law is passed by Congress, it has to be typically every three, five, seven years. It has to go through. What's go through what's called a reauthorization process. And that's basically is they reaffirm the law, they repass the law. The last time Ryan White was uh, reauthorized, they um, included that you can use Part B funding for um, 
health insurance continuation. So if, say you had your job, your job had insurance, and your insurance covered your HIV meds, but then you lost your job, um, you could therefore, thereby go to the uh, state AIDS office, and rather than paying for your medications, they will pay for your COBRA or your health insurance so that you can continue to get your health insurance or your medications through the health insurance policy that you had. So that, that is absolutely right. And that's, yeah. that's just as effective as, you know, being enrolled on ADAP and probably more effective because you don't have a lot of the formulary restrictions that you do if you were on the state ADAP program. Well, and then I would think in a lot of cases as well, I mean, ADAP covers medications, and, but it doesn't cover, like, let's say you break your leg or you need to go to a hospital for some other, for some other service. Um, your insurance hopefully would cover that, whereas ADAP is basically just drug assistance, correct? Right. Right. Cool. Cool. So that sounds, you know. So what can so what can people do who are who are sitting at home? Who can they call? Who do they have to email to to try to influence people to get more funding? Uh, well, they need to do uh, a couple things. They need to call the president. There is a, a White House switchboard that you can call. Um, you can contact the, the White House, the office um, Office of National AIDS Policy. Jeff Crowley is the director. Um, when President Obama nominated Jeff or appointed Jeff to that position, uh, for those baseball fans on listening in, uh, clearly hit a grand slam. Uh, Jeff is a great guy. I've known him for years. Uh, I don't think we could have a better national aide czar uh, than Jeff Crowley. Call Jeff's office and, and you know communicate that to him. But your, your listeners need to also call your two members of Congress. Doesn't matter matter what political party they are. If you're a Democrat and you live in a state with two Republican senators, it doesn't matter. You need to call them, vice versa. If you're a Republican and you live in a state with two Democratic senators, doesn't matter. You need to call the both of them. They still work for you. And then, of course, you need to find out who your representative is in the House of Representatives and, and do the same thing, because unless they hear from you and I and everybody out, uh, out there listening in and our neighbors and friends who are impacted by this disease, they are not going to think it's a problem. If they don't think it's a problem, they're not going to do it. There's, there's so many other things going on in Washington, D.C. It has to raise to the level uh, of a crisis for them to truly start to act on it. There you go. Well, we are down to the last couple minutes of the show. Somebody actually has a question in the chat room, so let me see this. Um, this may sound silly, but is there actually a drug that HIV AIDS has a Johnson status? What? That makes no sense. <laughs> I think I'm confused. Good, good screening, Robert. That doesn't make any sense to me. I misunderstand what he's writing. Well, I, I, okay. <laughs> I, I think I think what he's asking is you look at Magic Johnson and the fact that he's been positive for so many years and the guy just looks healthy, doesn't look like there's anything wrong. Um, I, I think maybe that's what he's getting at with this question. And is there a... a, a a magic drug or procedure, no, but that's the whole purpose of these antiretroviral drugs. Um, I mean, you can, you can come to our summit and listen to a physician talk about the, um, the virology of the disease and how these drugs work and the interactions and why you take certain drugs to do certain things. Uh, again, you know, but the bottom line is, yes, these drugs exist. They're, they're the drugs that we're talking about that are funded through this AIDS drug assistance program, and that's why we're fighting so hard to get them because we know from the medical community that if you take these medications, if you adhere to your regimen, um, you will eventually um, get better. And certainly there are cases where there's side effects or cases where there's resistance or maybe the drug starts to, to fail because the disease is always changing. So I'm speaking generally in general terms that these medications will help sustain your health and get the, the virus down to uh, the goal of, of having uh, the, your HIV virus be undetectable. And that means it's still in your body, but when they do the blood test and they try and find the virus, it's at such a low level that they consider it undetectable. Now, of course, if you stop taking the medications, the, the virus will, will fight its way back. But that's, I think, what he's getting at is the Magic Johnson status, that um, you know he's taking his regimen, he's taking his medication, and he has been undetectable for I don't know how many years, probably 10-plus years now, so it puts you in a position that you're living a more productive and healthier life. Yeah, he's talking about, um, yeah, that's exactly what he was talking about, because he's putting some more in here, and he says, because Magic Johnson appears to be HIV-free, 
And the way I look at it is, is you can't tell just by looking at somebody if they have HIV, you know, from the outside. Well, you know uh, as soon as he stops taking his medications, and it's different in every person, um, the, the virus will, event, will start to slowly come back. So he's not HIV-free. The HIV is undetectable. There, there's a big difference uh, between saying that he's cured and he doesn't have HIV and saying that he is, uh, his virus is undetectable. It's not like um, with, with cancer, when the cancer goes into remission, you know, there's no cancer in the body. Uh, it, it's not that, you know, you haven't been cured and you're not in remission. It is there. It's just at such a low level that they can't, they can't find it with the tests that they have today. However, the minute you stop taking those drugs and can you continually stop taking those drugs, rest assured it will be coming back. Well, and I've heard, I'm, I'm obviously not a doctor, nor do I play one on television, but um, <laughs> I, I have I've heard okay. even, if it's, even if it's undetectable in your bloodstream, for some reason it's really crafty and it can hide like in your, deep in your brain and deep in your different bodily, organism, or bodily organs. And, uh, and yeah, like you said, as soon as you quit taking your medications, and it, 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 it comes back with a vengeance. So that's why it's important that everyone has the, the medications because they – they are so much different than they were in, you know, the late 80s and early 90s, and they are very, very effective. And it's quite a shame that, you know, over a few million dollars when we're spending, I don't know how many millions of dollars or billions on on the wars every day that we can't save lives here domestically that could easily be, you know, healthy, vibrant people if they just had a few pills. Amen, brother. I, you know, earlier when I got on my soapbox about the bank bailout and the, the auto bail, you know, I, I didn't even mention, fail to mention the war. You know, I mean, the money that the money that we are spending everywhere across the board, the fact that we can't pony up 126 million dollars, um, is really just it's mind-boggling to me. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah. So, Brandon, um, where can people? Um, obviously, they can go to the ADAPT Association. I'm sorry, ADAPT Advocacy Association org to find out more information about the association. But where can they find you if they want to? You know, interested in having you maybe come speak to them or they have questions. Uh, the best thing is that is that website, and they can just shoot. Okay. The, they can join our listserv for that. You know, it's free to join the ADAPT Advocacy Association. You'll be on our listserv, so you get all our alerts and uh, newsletters and that sort of thing. But uh, also, you know, email is on there, and you can just uh, shoot me an email. And, you know, even if it's a question of, you know, I want to take you up, I want to uh, write my two senators and my congressmen, but I don't know where to start. You know, shoot me an email and, you know, tell me what your zip code is, and I'll, I'll find who your representatives are and get you their contact information so that you can, you know, write the emails or make the phone calls. There you go. It's that easy. Brandon, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure. I did also want to congratulate you on being featured in HIV Plus magazine um, in the top 25 of today's LGBT leaders working to ensure the fight against HIV rages on. So congratulations. Oh, I, I, <laughs> I had two colleagues on the phone here with me who were also honored, so it was a, it was a pleasure being up there with the two of you. Right on. Next year we'll be top ten. <laughs> <laughs> Brandon, again, just give a plug to your radio show since people are here. Um, it's on the, it is on Blog Talk Radio. It is Moderate Solutions, uh, Moderate-Solutions, uh, and we air it every Thursday at uh, 1 o'clock. There you go. All right, Brandon, Robert. you have yourself a great night, and I will talk to you um, probably in July. Well, I'll talk to you soon, but I'll see you in July. Sounds good. Robert, Jack, thanks for the time. Uh, you two take care of yourselves. Right on. Thank you. All right. That. Um, saying that uh, kind of is like a tongue twister for me. <laughs> the a.advocacyassociation.org. It just, I don't know, it seems like I can't say it. <laughs> oh, my Lord. So let's see. Um, so do you have anything going on with Living Positive by Design? Since we have a couple yeah. minutes left. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, we have planned out most of our, our upcoming year with um, – in case people don't know by now, it's my uh, HIV education campaign with Merck, and we are our next city, like I just mentioned, is D.C., which, scarily enough, um, the 2008 uh, studies just came out, and D.C. has the highest rate in the country of HIV. They estimate that 3% of the entire population is HIV positive, and there might be as much as another 3% that doesn't even know that they're positive. So 
That's kind of really freaky. So we're going to D.C., and then um, I know we're going to L.A. this year, and um, I can't think of the other cities off the top of my head, but, um, yeah, I got a full schedule, so I'm excited about it. And they can find more information on that. What is it, livingpositivebydesign.com? And then I, and if you just follow me on, um, if you go to my website, I'm trying to put updates on there. I just had someone redo my site, so it's up to date, and I'm on Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff. I'm, 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 sort of, I'm, sort of, I'm sort of addicted to Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I, I've seen your post lately. Yes, absolutely. So you guys can find more information on Jack at jackmackinroff.com and more information on me and the radio show at www.posim.com. And don't forget, you guys can go to iTunes and also download any of our past shows. And how many, how many, how many, how many uh, downloads are we up to? We're up uh, 27,000. Oh, just, oh, not bad. <laughs> no, not, not too shabby. So you have a great night. Thanks for tuning in. All right, in. baby. I'll talk to you Bye. later. Bye bye. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.